0: Welcome everyone. Yeah, first first uh, Sunday of the the new year. Great to see um, you here this morning, and those who join on Facebook, welcome. I, I was asked because uh, we came on Christmas morning. We had a lovely morning, Christmas morning, and I shared a, a little sort of message um, which was entitled "The Camels Are Coming," and um, just in case you didn't sort of get to hear that, I'm just going to give you a brief sort of uh, idea of what that was about, because when we looked at the scripture, it was quite clear that when Jesus was born, we have the nativity scene, don't we, of like, there's the shepherds and the angels and the wise men, but when we read the scriptures, the wise men didn't come to the stable, sorry about that, and it was like a bit of a, we're not here to, you know, diss the nativity scene. But they sort of came between one and two years later. And it says when they came, they came into the house, not into the stable. You can read it yourself. But anyway, the point being that he was born in a poor stable and kind of, if you don't know this, when they came to worship, um, they brought turtle doves. Joseph and Mary brought turtle doves, which was the poor man's way of being able to worship because they couldn't afford you know so so they were a poor family but gold was on its way the camels were coming and it might have been two years after the event but the camels were coming and that was the kind of thought behind it that God's got something for you and for me and it's on its way and you know we may want it to come in at the time when we think it's right to arrive and and what fits the scene and he says they're on the way and there's that need sometimes just to take hold of that. So that was kind of just very quickly what Christmas morning was, was about. But yeah, we had, it was lovely to be here Christmas morning, especially as we've not been able to do a lot over the last few years, haven't we? But, so this morning I want to talk to you about um, Israel and their relationship with God. But I want you to see it from the perspective of they're just like any other human beings on the planet. Sometimes when we read the Bible or we look at the history of the Bible, we think Israel did this, they got that wrong, they got that right, God chose. And we sort of see them as a separate entity to humanity in some ways. But we've been grafted in, the Bible says, we've been made part of his family. Are we any different? So I'm going to show you what they were like, but only on the perspective that you would be saying to yourself, am I like that? Because it's all right to point the finger, but you know when they were in the wilderness starving and they said, You've brought us out here to kill us. God, you've brought us out here to kill us. We hate Moses. We hate everybody and everything. You would never be like that. That's what we're really truly saying, isn't it? When it doesn't go our way, we would never stoop to that. But anyway, let me just take you in through the scripture. So um, Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 is where I want to start. And I'm hoping that uh, Ian can help me find these, which would be great. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. So this is how I want to introduce you to the God of Israel, but also the God who you say you worship. So God introduces himself and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Those three particular characters in the Old Testament had incredible encounters with God. The next person who comes along in the scene who has an encounter with God is Moses, who has a mighty encounter with God. But these three in particular, God came to, in fact, Abraham is called the friend of God. That's how close his relationship with God was. Is that how you would describe you and your relationship with God? Are you his friend? Jesus in the New Testament says, "I no longer call you servants; I call you friends." So he's trying to reintroduce this what Israel were supposed to have encountered—the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He wanted to be something personal to them. But here's here's what I see of Israel in their journey. In okay, they had what I call a checkered relationship. Now. As I say, don't in any way relate this to yourself, right? They loved him, they hated him. You can see it through their story, through their journey. They followed him, they turned away from him. They obeyed him, they disobeyed him. I think it's in, um, no, no, I'm not, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Because the minute I do that, I don't know where it's from. Um, it, it's it's in chapter 28, I know that. But which book? Who knows? Who um, <laughs> Where he says if you obey me it will go like this and like this and like this and you'll be blessed here and blessed there and your houses will be full your your farms you you know your oh, everything will be brilliant if you disobey me this or what this is what will happen and he gives a long list of negatives there but that was Israel they obeyed him they disobeyed him they worshipped him and they murmured against him that's really what what is that you are so wonderful what are you doing I don't know how that works, it's, but that's what they were capable of. But don't worry, I don't label any of you in that same humanity. They were faithful and they were unfaithful. They called on him and they stopped calling on him. Now, as I say, we're humans. We've been born again, brought into this house, this family of God. But are we any different? Are we any different? There's two major events or two major scriptures that I want to bring to your attention that kind of demonstrate what I think goes on in their relationship and where it fell down a little bit. Um, Before I say these things, I think they reflect very much the heart of what humans are like, not just what Israel was like. So Exodus 32, I'm going to begin at verse 1. And I think I'm going to go all the way through to verse 6. So Exodus 32. So Israel, by this time, if you hadn't realised, had come out of Egypt. They were there 400 years, 420 years. Which, by the way, Abraham had been told that many hundreds of years before it happened. Abraham was told my people will be in captivity 400 years that's way before Isaac Jacob Moses ever came along God said it would happen it wasn't a surprise to him that they were in Egypt 400 years he knew it was coming do you think God knows anything about you and me I think of he knows what's about what's coming do you know when I was a young lad he knew one day I'd be getting old I never thought that was going to happen, did you? But he knew. He knows He's pl- he sees what's coming in your life, he sees what's ahead of you. And so they were uh, in captivity for 400 years. But here's what it says. They come out of, oh, sorry, so they come out of Egypt by incredible miracles. And in fact the Egyptians, they're, they're sort of um, slave owners and like the biggest army that was around in that time, God took them out in a river, you know, and they crossed the Red Sea. People have often said, "How could God, uh, you know, how could Israel have got through on dry land? It must have been the time when it was the most shallow waters, and that's how Israel got across." And then the answer comes back: "So how did he drown the Israel, the, the Egyptian army, in a shallow waters? It's just doesn't add up, does it?" So they've seen all these miracles and then Moses goes up into the mountain to meet with God and he's a bit late coming back as far as they're concerned. What is it like for you and me when God doesn't turn up when we thought he should turn up? Well this is what happened it says when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him come make us God's that shall go before us for us for this Moses the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt we don't know what's become of him next verse and Aaron said to them what does Aaron say no hang on a minute let's wait a minute you know Moses is introducing us to a new God immediately he says give me your earrings give me your golden earrings and look this is interesting in the ears of your wives yes mm, we are okay with that some people don't like that idea. In the ears of your sons. Oh my word, were some religious people really struggling with this verse right now. <laughs> and your daughters, and bring them to me. Verse 3. Sorry, that was just another slight dig at things. But. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. Okay, verse 4 he received the gold from their hands he fashioned it with an engraving tool made a molden calf and they said this is your god o israel that brought you out of the land of egypt just one second before you move on to verse 5 the new this is the new king james version but somewhere i read this version originally used to say so they gave him all the gold he threw it into the fire and a calf came out that's how it originally used to read here, which is just hilarious, right? Well, that's how it. Would. Verse five. Move on. Sorry. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord." Now, hang on a minute. The word "Lord" there is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which was the name that God introduced Himself to to Moses. Yahweh. So even though they'd made an idol, they were calling it by the right name. That doesn't excuse making an idol, but still. Next verse. And they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's fine. That's enough verses there. Israel had encountered God in the most miraculous way And the minute they don't know what to do, what do they revert to? They were in Egypt for 400 years and the Egyptians were idol worshippers. They had them all over the place. Some people have even said that the 10 plagues that took place, each plague plague represented a god or an idol that the Egyptians worshipped. So God was defeating every idolatry in Egypt. That's what some people say. The idol that they made, the golden calf, was the god As- As- Apis, A-P-I-S, which was an Egyptian god. So although they'd come out of Egypt, Egypt hasn't come out of them. We don't have any idols in our days, do we? Do we don't worship certain things our days, do we? You know, We don't have holy times, holy things that we, you know, like when I was a young young lad growing up um I, I was brought up on a, a very sort of strict religious thing you know no shopping on a Sunday no TV on a Sunday although that soon went out the window I must be honest um no TV on a Sunday you know there was a lot of no's don't you can't do and over the years it's all changed you I know you won't remember this because you're a lot younger than than this is about but before TV, there was only radio. Before TV, and when TV came out, the Christians said, "That's from the devil. You can't buy a radio. That's, that's, that's demonic. That's from the devil. We can't, you know." So look, Christians, it was like wrong to wear, to have a radio. Then TV came out, and all the Christians says, "It's wrong to watch television. That's from the devil. That's demonic." And all went out and bought a radio. It's true. It's true. They moved on a bit behind the times, and church can be a bit behind the times, I will admit that. <laughs> you know. But what happens is what the world does, we even, we end up doing. We don't do we have anything? And I'm not saying go back to the days of, you know, that kind of extreme that we used to be. But hey, it was easier back then because you knew what you could and couldn't do. Do you know name? Is it a lot greyer? Is it a lot more unsure? Mm. That's just, actually I've written at the end of my message, don't write to me a hate mail, because a few things I might say might kind of provoke you, particularly if you're Christians a long time. I remember one time being in the church and talking about um, going to heaven, and the Bible says, okay, so I'll ask you a question, where do Christians go when they die? heaven Uh, if you believe that put your hands up where do christians go when they die heaven wonderful absolutely true so what do we do with the bible verse in romans that says i am i am dead already i've died with christ i am dead so where do christians go when they die heaven and i am dead so where am i it's a it's a challenge so i said this one day i said heaven is not just a a future destination but a present reality and I got heckled (laughs) rubbish someone shouted from the from the congregation they did they said rubbish they didn't believe that you know for them heaven is just like that's final place but heaven to me is like Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is amongst you the kingdom of God is is here right now it's within you so, so I, I get the idea that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I get that sense. But that heaven is not accessible now, I don't see that. I see it from scriptures that it's very real and very near. The Egyptians were 400 years in slavery. So for them to turn back to idolatry was so easy, was so simple for them. So their first reaction to Moses's delay in coming down was to turn back to what they've done before. How many Christians, now I'm, I'm going to say it, and I said I don't want hate mail. But lockdown happened, and a lot of things changed. He delayed his coming. The church delayed its coming back into... And what did people do? A lot haven't come back to church because we went back to or we found something else. And God says don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together. Now as I say don't write to me hate mail. I, I just know that it's very easy. We, we can look at Israel and go oh they were like that. They were. But it's I see the evidence that it can be the same for us, that we're just as human, just as caught up in what seems right to a man, to ourselves. Somebody once said about that when they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that what that really meant was, uh, or what the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents was, they're now in the position to decide what they think is good and bad for their lives. Think about that for a second. Adam and Eve, before they did that, God said, do this, do that, do the other, and it's, life will be just amazing. Eat this, eat that, walk this way, love me, do that. It an incredible time of existence. But as soon as they ate of the tree, they decided from that point on what was best for their lives. Now, another question that I don't want hate mail over is, when was the last time you asked God what was best for your life? When was the last time he told you it was something that you didn't want to do? Because that's how he works sometimes. In the sense that sometimes he sees things that we're doing and he says, they're not the best thing for you. Why don't you do this? I mean, one of the things, going back to my old days, was read your Bible, pray, go to church, give your tithes. You know, like there was these rules. And people have gone over the years, people have come into this church and says. You know, we don't have to pay tithes, do we? Expecting me to go, oh no, it's all right now. But it's in the Bible. It's it's in the heart of the Father. He's not holding back anything from us. He wants to pour out. Should, well, we don't have to go to church to be a Christian, do we? Well, is that what you're asking me? Well, it's in the Bible. It's like, Jesus did it. He went to the temple. It's like, okay, stop it, Tim, stop it. Um, so they built this, this image, this golden calf. What image have you have I made of God? What image have you made of God? So three questions. Is my relationship with God the Father, sorry, is my relationship with God the Father or is it with an image of what I think the Father is like? Do I know God as my Father? I know his love for me. I know his care for me. I know. I know or do I know, well, I know about the idea. But he's not much of a father. He's never there when you want Him. What, what's your image of it? Is my relationship with Jesus, the Saviour, or an image of what I think Jesus is like? is my relationship with, and this is my favourite one because I want to mention this for a couple of minutes, is my relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit or an image of what the Holy Spirit is like. Tuesday on the prayer meeting night, we were asking God what 2023 looks like from heaven's perspective. And one of the things that came up was, he wants to pour out, once again, the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's just fantastic. Fantastic. For those who don't know, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control, and there's probably another one. But anyway, long-suffering, that's why I didn't mention that one. Um, (laughs) There's this whole abundance of of life that's those things, but then the gifts of the Spirit are speaking in tongues. Prophet, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, miracles, healings, faith, uh, word of knowledge word of the other one wisdom thank you word of wisdom but they're not you know like the gift of um healing is not like um how can I put this it's not like someone who has a healing ministry they're the only people who can heal the gifts of healing can work through anybody in the church so you might have come this morning feeling pretty miserable, pretty low, and we say, Oh, we're going to have a time of healing at the moment. And I might pick on you to come and pray for them. And you're going, Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not right with God. I don't feel great. And then you lay hands on this person and they get well, and you think, well, how has that happened? Because that's what the gift of the Spirit is. It's not you, but it's you being available to the Spirit to move through you. So that's what I wanted to just spend a couple of minutes on asking this question how many of you even know the Holy Spirit see that's what Israel had their issues they didn't really know God they weren't aware of what God was really like they had an image of what it was like this God the Holy Spirit what is it who is he how do you know him what is he like to you is he even real to you How many of you know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Man, that's such an incredible experience to have. I had that when I was 11 years old. I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I began speaking in tongues and I was just overwhelmed with joy and uh, faith and hope and love. It was just the most incredible thing. And I was speaking in an unknown language. I I had no training in that. It just was the Holy Spirit speaking out through me and I've been to churches and I've heard people speaking in so many different tongues if you like or languages it sounds like and these people do it and and God bless we've had people who have been to this church who have felt God stir them during the worship and they've spoken out in in tongues that's them being willing to be used by the Holy Spirit because that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to speak in tongues And the third question is, how many of you know how to yield to the Holy Spirit? So, we're not not talking about the God of Isaac, Jacob, that Israel were trying to come into relationship with. But we've been introduced to the God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And we're meant to be in relationship with those. And, and, And working with them in our life. I want to give you another example of Israel here. In 1 Samuel chapter 8 and I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 7 and I'm bringing this up to date now up to what's going on in the church if you like is that what I've given you (laughs) 1 Samuel 8 verses 5 to 7 I don't think it's Samuel. Nick, can you find this for me? It's the scripture that says, uh, and the church is built on the ministry of the apostles and the prophets. I think it's it might be 1 Corinthians, I don't know, 8, verses 5 to 7. But, but Nick will find it. Anyway, I, I can quote the scripture while it's being found. The scripture says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In fact, I found it, it's Ephesians 2.20. So I don't know what that 1 Samuel 8, yeah. Oh no, 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 you can go back to that, sorry. This is what happens when I try and read my notes instead of just going with it like. In 1 Samuel 8, go back to that, 1 Samuel 8 verse 5. Israel, when they first became a nation and even before that were led by prophets, priests and mighty men anointed by God. So before Israel becomes the big nation, you know, after coming out of Egypt, before that and even some some time after that, they were led by prophets, priests and mighty men of God. Joshua, Judges, the Judges would be people like Samson. So, and hey, was Samson there? God came on him and he became powerful. That's very much like being filled with the Holy Spirit in a different way. But Israel were led by God, by the prophetic ministry. But what happens in 1 Samuel 8? It says, they said to him, "Uh, Look, you're old and your sons and daughters, don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the other nations. What happened with Israel, they looked at every other nation that was in, there was presidents, there was kings, there was uh, prime ministers. There was We want to be like other nations. Before that, they were being led by God. But now they wanted to be led by a structure. Now I'm going to throw the church in the, the deep end now. And this is the bit that I don't want you to write to me about. Please do not write to me about this. Ephesians 2 verse 20 says this: "The church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2:20. How was the church originally established, according to that, by apostles and prophets? That was the main two ministries that started the church, that the church was built upon. Look at this, Ephesians 4 verse 11. You'll know this verse. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So even in this, who's at the top of the list? The gifts that are given to lead a church. These are what are known as the fivefold ministry, if you like. The, and in fact, in the next verse, it says, it says this. Um, if you go into verse 12. Those five ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, are given to the church to equip the church or the saints for the work of the ministry. Edifying the body of Christ. But he gave them, do you think they've given them in order or was it just, I don't know. So let me read you this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. God has set some in the church. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. God has set some in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. I'm a bit worried being a pastor (laughs) that my name's not on the list. Even in the Ephesians 4.11, it says, and he gave some to the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Well, I'm down the bottom. You know? But this is how Paul, who is writing to the various churches, says... This is what it looks like to us. This is what the church looks like. It's led by apostles and prophets and evangelists going out to reach the lost. And then when they come in, pastor's looking after them. That's how it was set up in the Bible. Now I want to say something to you that's really going to be hard for many people watching this. Don't write to me. The church fundamentally today is set up on the ministry of the pastor. It's, it's almost everywhere in the West. The main role in the church is the pastor. But the church that, that he established that we, are, we have come from was established by apostles and prophets and evangelists. Something for us that we've thought about for many years is what does that look like for us? How, how do we become more prophetic how do we become more apostolic and just so i explain it to you as the briefest of explanations what's the difference between apostles prophets and say pastors okay and again i know i'll get written to about this bit but it's what it's what it is apostles and prophets look that way what are you saying what do you want what are you releasing from heaven over the church what is your will for this world Seeking God, hearing from God and bringing that to the people. Prophets, sorry, pastors do this. What do you want? What are all your needs? I'm not saying that pastors don't look that way as well. Please don't hear me saying that. But the heart generally of the pastor who's in this list that the Bible gives us, he's been brought in to care for the people. That's beautiful. You absolutely need it. It's so fundamental. But it's not how it's supposed to be built. So we're kind of praying, God, release that supernatural once again over this church, over the church that we hear from God and we bring down from heaven. I wonder if the church would look any different today if it was run by apostles and prophets now, I'm going to say, <laughs> one of the reasons this has happened is because over the years, nobody people have forgotten what the ministry of an apostle is anyway. Nobody can really put that into a definition. It's like, well, they were the people who were sent out to plant churches. That was their job, you know. Well, it's part of it. And the prophets, well, we just don't like them anyway, anymore. they they're, they're called prophets of doom, aren't they? You know, they only tell you bad things that God's going to do, you know. So, what would you want? People like that building your church? Well, that's because we've, we've lost what it was. Do you know, there's only, so there's three places in Scripture which talks about the ministry within a church. Ephesians 4.11 says, uh, it's put in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, ch- teachers. Five roles. That's what he says. In Romans it says, These are the ministries of the church. And it's things like giving and caring and hospitality. But in that list is the word prophecy. Even in that list, practical list that it is, he says, Oh, and, and, and that you would if you prophesy, speak the word of God. And then there's another list in Corinthians called the spiritual gift lifts. List which I've already quoted to you once already gifts of um, word of knowledge, word of wisdom speaking in tongues and one of the gifts is the gift of prophecy it's everywhere and what's happened is because one person does it and offends somebody then to protect the church we say we don't like people prophesying over one another We're not like that here. We think it's important because we've understood that 99% of the time the gift of prophecy speaks blessing. Almost all the time it's a word of blessing, it's a word of uh, hope, it's a word of restoration. So we seek for that, we look for that. So yeah, what would the church look like if it was built now? on the ministry of the apostles and the prophets. Don't wipe yourself off as not being in any of the lists. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Go home, read them and say, which one's me? Because you're all in them. And particularly that one in Corinthians, it says the gifts of the Spirit are for everyone. Not everyone except, it's for Everyone. So God bless you. May this be an incredible year for you as a spiritual journey with God. Not just, I've, I've made some new choices, I'm doing, I've am doing. i decided to do some new things, but no, like Israel, have an encounter with God, have a relationship with God that changes you somehow, even to the core, that you begin to be used by God in ways that you didn't even imagine you could be. Because that's you being... Growing up, if you like, in your faith. Growing up in. And not having this Israel's version of God. When it don't work out, I'll make my own idea of what, what it is he wants me to be like then. That's not his heart for you. That's not his heart for me. So God bless you. Thank you. And a happy new year. And uh, come back fired up next week. Seek God. Amen. God bless you. Okay, we're going to sing. Take. uh...